Chapter Two of Ronicky Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Ronicky Doone, by Max Brand, Chapter Two, Friendly Enemies. Again and again, Greg spurred the bay cruelly. She winced from the pain and snorted, but apparently having not the slightest knowledge of bucking, she could only shake her head and send a ringing whinny of appeal up the slope of the mountain toward the approaching rider. In spite of the approaching danger, in spite of the delay which was ruining his chances of getting to Stillwater before the train, Bill Greg watched in marvel and delight the horsemanship of the stranger. Ronicky Doone, if this were he, was certainly the prince of all wild riders. Even as the mare stopped in answer to the signal of her owner, Ronicky Doone sent his mount over the edge of a veritable cliff, flung back on his haunches, and slid down the gravelly slope, careening from side to side. With a rush of pebbles about him and a dust cloud whirling after, Ronicky Doone broke out into the road ahead of the mare, and she whinnied softly again to greet him. Bill Gregg found himself looking not into the savage face of a gunfighter, as he had been led to expect, but a handsome fellow, several years younger than he, a high headed, straight eyed, buoyant type. In his seat in the saddle, in the pose of his head and the play of his hand on the reins, Bill Gregg recognized a boundless nervous force. There was nothing ponderous about Ronicky Doone. Indeed, he was not more than middle size. But as he reined his horse in the middle of the road and looked with flashing eyes at Bill Gregg, he appeared very large indeed. Gregg was used to fighting or paying his way, or doing both at the same time, as occasion offered. He decided this was certainly an occasion for much money and few words. You're Dune, I guess, he said, and you know I've played a pretty bad trick on you, taking your horse this way. But I wanted to pay for it, Dune, and I'll pay now. I've got to get to Stillwater before that train. Look at her. I haven't hurt her any. Her wind isn't touched. She's pretty wet, but sweat never hurt nothing on four feet, eh? I don't know, returned Ronicky Doone. I'd as soon run off with a man's wife as his hoss. Partner, said Bill Gregg desperately, I have to get there. Then get there on your own feet, not the feet of another gent's hoss. Gregg controlled his rising anger. Beyond him, the train was looming larger and larger in the plain, and Stillwater seemed more and more distant. He writhed in the saddle. I tell you, I'll pay. I'll pay the whole value of the hoss, if you want. He was about to say more when he saw the eyes of Ronicky Doone widen and fix. Look, said the other suddenly, you've been cutting her up with the spurs. Greg glanced down to the flank of the bay to discover that he had used the spurs more recklessly than he thought. A sharp rowl had pricked through the skin, and though it was probably only a slight wound indeed, it had brought a smear of red to the surface. Ronicky Doone trembled with anger. Confound you, he said furiously. Any fool would have known that you didn't need a spur on that hoss. What part do you come from where they teach you to kill a hoss when you ride it? Can you tell me that? I'll tell you after I get to Stillwater. I'll see you hung before I see you in Stillwater. You talk too much, Doone. Greg said huskily. I've just begun, said Doone. 
Then take this and shut up, exclaimed Bill Gregg. Ordinarily he was the straightest and squarest man in the world in a fight. But a sudden anger had flared up in him. He had an impulse to kill, to get rid of this obstacle between him and everything he wanted most in life. Without more warning than that, he snatched out his revolver and fired point blank at Ronicky Doone. Certainly all approaches to a fight had been made, and Doone might have expected the attack. At any rate, as the gun shot out of Greg's holster, the other swung himself sideways in his own saddle, and snapping out his revolver fired from the hip. That swerve to the side saved him, doubtless, from the shot of Greg. His own bullet plowed clear through the thigh of the other rider. The whole leg of Greg went numb, and he found himself slumping helplessly to one side. He dropped his gun, and he had to cling with both hands to lower himself out of the saddle. Now he sat in the dust of the trail and stared stupidly, not at his conqueror, but at the train which was flashing into the little town of Stillwater just below them. He hardly heeded Ronicky Doone as the latter started forward with an oath, knelt beside him, and examined the wound. It's clean, Doone said. as he started ripping up his undershirt to make bandages. I'll have you fixed so you can be gotten into Stillwater. He began to work rapidly, twisting the claws around Greg's thigh, which he had first laid bare by some dexterous use of a hunting knife. Then Greg turned his eyes to those of Dune. The train had pulled out of Stillwater. The sound of the coughing engine as it started up came faintly to them after a moment. Of all the damn fools! said the two men in one voice. And then they grinned at each other. Certainly it was not the first fight or the first wound for either of them. I'm sorry, they began again, speaking together in chorus. Matter of fact, said Ronicky Doone, that bay means a pile to me. When I seen the red on her side, can't be more than a chance prick. I know, said Ronicky Doone, but I didn't stop to think. And I should have given you fair warning before I went for the gat. Look here, said Ronicky, you talk like a straight sort of gent to me. And you thought I was a cross between a hoss thief and a gunfighter? I don't know what I thought, except that I wanted my mare back. Stranger, I'm no end sorry this has happened. Maybe you'd let me know why you was in such a hurry to get to Stillwater. If there's any trouble coming down the road behind you, maybe I can help take care of it for you. And he smiled coldly and significantly at Bill Gregg. The latter eyed with some wonder the man who had just shot him down, and was now offering to fight for his safety. Nothing like that, said Bill. I was going to Stillwater to meet a girl. As much of a rush as that, all to see a girl? On that train. Ronicky Doone whistled softly, and I messed it up. But why didn't you tell me what you wanted? I didn't have a chance. Besides, I couldn't waste time in talking and explaining to everybody along the road. Sure, you couldn't, but the girl'll forgive you when she finds out what happened. No, she won't, because she'll never find out. Eh? I don't know where she is. Riding all that way just to see a girl? It's a long story, partner, and this leg is beginning to act up. Tell you the best thing would be for you to jump on your mare and jog into Stillwater for a buckboard, and then come back and get me. What do you say? Twenty minutes after Ronicky Doone had swung into the saddle and raced down the road, the buckboard arrived, and the wounded man was helped onto a pile of blankets in the body of the wagon. The shooting, of course, was explained by the inevitable gun accident. Ronicky Doone happened to be passing along that way and saw Bill Gregg looking over his revolver as he rode along. 
At that moment the gun exploded, and the two men who had come out in the buckboard listened to the tale with expressionless faces. As a matter of fact, they had already heard in Stillwater that no less a person than Ronicky Doone was on his way toward that village in pursuit of a man who had ridden off on the famous bay mare, Lou. But they accepted Ronicky's bland version of the accident with perfect calm and with many expressions of sympathy. They would have other things to say after they had deposited the wounded man in Stillwater. The trip was a painful one for Bill Gregg. For one thing, the exhaustion of the three days long trip was now causing a wave of weariness to sweep over him. The numbness, which had come through the leg immediately after the shooting, was now replaced by a steady and continued aching. And more than all, he was unnerved by the sense of utter failure, utter loss. Never in his life had he fought so bitterly and steadily for a thing, and yet he had lost at the very verge of success. End of chapter 2